The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading today is out of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and Mark chapter 11, 7 through 10. If you have a Bible, you can turn there now. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Mark 11, verses 7 through 10. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I invite you to open your Bibles, uh, whether you are gathered here in person with us or whether you're gathered with us online, I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Uh, you heard Mark chapter 11 read just a moment ago, and that is because today is Palm Sunday, uh, when we celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem for what would be his final week before his crucifixion. And the picture that we just heard read to us in Mark 11 is one of Jesus coming as a victorious king who brings peace. Uh, Jesus rides on the colt of a donkey. Israel's kings rode donkeys during times of peace. Horses were for war. Uh, The people wave and, and lay down palm branches. That was almost like a national flag at the time. It was a symbol of victory. Just like you see when soldiers return home from war, that nation waves their flag to celebrate victory. They waved and laid down palm branches, a symbol of Victory. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem as a victorious king who brings his people peace. Which causes the people to cry out with a request, with a plea. They cry out, Hosanna! It literally just means save now. They're, they're crying out, save us, Jesus. Save me. I want you to be my king. I want to share in your victory. I want to experience your peace. Do you hear the people's Palm Sunday cry? Is this not still our Palm Sunday cry? Like, I don't don't know about your heart, but today mine cries out, save Jesus, be our King. We want to share in your victory. We want to experience your your peace. And Chase, this this is especially my heart's cry right here at the end of our Lenten series on temptation. My heart's crying this right here because throughout this series we have been focused on Jesus' temptation throughout his time, his 40 days in the wilderness, and we have been seeing over and over again his victory. But if I'm honest, I'm still left wondering how precisely his victory empowers victory in me. Don't get me wrong, he is victorious for us, but he is also victorious in us. 
He doesn't just win the victory for us to pardon our sins, defeats our temptations so we're forgiven and get eternity with him. He also defeats our temptations so that we may live victoriously now. And I'm left going, how does his victory empower my victory right now? Last week, we talked about Jesus as king of all the wild things. We use that kid's book where the wild things are as kind of a little metaphor. Jesus, king over all wild things, including the wild things inside of me, my desires that so often tempt me and pull me and lead me astray and into sin and death. And I'm left asking, what does it look like to submit the wild things in me to Jesus as king? What does it look like to experience his victory so that I have peace? To conclude our series, this is what I want us to see. I want us to look at three ways to pursue submitting to Jesus as king of our wild things. This is not exhaustive. This is not all Scripture has to say about this. But hopefully it's a distillation of everything that we've covered, everything that we've seen as we've watched Jesus face down the wild things in the wilderness. I want us to see three ways we pursue submitting to him as king of our wild things. And they line up with the three things we talked about last week. Place, promise, Purpose. If you recall, last week we saw that it is God who sends us into this place, the wilderness of this world. But he doesn't just send us to this place, he sends us with a promise to provide everything we need in that place for the purpose of satisfying us with himself. If you want to hear all of that unpacked, you're going to have to go back and listen to the podcast from last week. But in light of everything that we saw last week concerning place, promise, purpose, let's zoom in. Three ways to fight temptation by submitting to Jesus as king of our wild things. So, number one, see your place through God's illuminating word. Are we going to fight temptation? Are we going to submit to Christ as king? See your place. Your place is the wilderness of this world. So wherever you are in it, whatever situation you're experiencing, whatever suffering, whatever struggling, see your place, that place, through God's illuminating word. So right upstairs behind us is what we call the community room. There's couches and coffee tables and stuff in there upstairs. Last week, I, uh, I decided it would be a great idea to walk through that room with no lights on. And, um, I, well, I mean, I, I thought to myself, like, like, I know this room well enough to navigate it in the dark. That's what I thought until my shins met a solid wood coffee table at full speed, and I collapsed onto the top of that table, curled up embarrassingly in the fetal position, whimping, whimpering like a puppy in pain. I did, like, literally split my shin open. I called Holly, like, FaceTimed her, face scrunched up in pain, told her what had happened. She laughed at me. Because <laughs> we love each other. She laughed and she asked, why didn't you use the flashlight on your phone? All I needed, Shades, was a little bit of light on my path. And then I could have truly seen the room that I thought I knew so well. Psalm 119, 105, your word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Shades, God has given us his word to illuminate the dark wilderness of this world so that we may truly see this place that we think we know so well. Is that, 
Is that not precisely what we saw last week as we walked through Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13? You should be there right now. Look at it with me, verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. Last week we talked about how this kind of looks like God has just dropped Jesus in the wilderness. Like, here you go, have fun. Place of temptation, wild animals, which means danger and death. It's what it looks like on the surface, but if you remember last last week, Mark's gospel actually illuminates the darkness of this wilderness, and it causes us to see this place in an entirely different light. Remember, right before the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness, we heard this at the end of verse 11. You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That's the voice of God the Father speaking over his son, illuminating the reality he's not being sent into the wilderness because he's hated, but because he's beloved. He's not being punished. His father is well pleased. And then look at the end of verse 13, where we read, and Jesus was with the wild animals, yes, but also, and the angels were ministering to him. In other words, Jesus wasn't abandoned to the dangers of temptation. God, through his messengers, his holy angels, was providing everything Jesus would need. We only see those realities through this word, Shades. If you're just looking at Jesus' experience in the wilderness, you see none of this. You need God to speak and tell you who he is, my beloved son. You need God to speak through this word and reveal that he is providing through angels everything that Jesus needs. Shades, That reality is only illuminated through the word. And we only see the reality of what God is doing amidst the darkness of our world when it also is illuminated by this word. You will not be able to see your situation, your suffering, your struggling correctly unless you see it through the lens of this word, unless you see it illuminated by this word. Satan, he loves The enemy loves to use the place you're in. The wilderness of this world, he loves to use the place you're in, your situation, suffering, struggling, to tempt you to doubt God's provision, God's protection, God's plan. Is that not precisely what we saw him do in the specific temptations of Christ when we walked through those three temptations in Matthew chapter 4? Satan not tempting you. God's not providing for you. Turn these stones to bread. God's not protecting you. Jump off the temple and force his his hand. God's plan is not best. It involves a cross. Let me just give you the kingdoms of this world without having to go to the cross. And Shades, here's the deal. Like if we're honest, the dark wilderness of this world makes those temptations awfully easy to believe. Does it not? Does your situation, your suffering, your struggling not tempt you to doubt God's provision, his protection, his plan? By what power are you going to fight that temptation? What what power has he provided? We're not going to be able to fight it on our own. He's got to provide the power. What power has he provided for you to fight those temptations? What could empower you to submit to him as king of all the wild things that this wilderness makes you feel? Seeing your place through this illuminated word. 
That's what will empower you. Seeing your place through this illuminating word. Seeing the reality that in your situation, in your suffering, in your struggling, He is providing everything that you need. He is using those very things in your situation to strengthen you, to shape you, to satisfy you with Himself. We only see the reality of what God is doing amidst the wilderness of this world when the darkness of it is illuminated by this Word. So immerse yourself in the Word, Shades. How are you going to fight temptation? You've got to immerse yourself in this Word. Read it. Get, get a plan. I encourage everyone. Get a Bible reading plan and the first thing you do with it is mark out the dates because the dates do nothing but discourage people. Mark out the dates and just read. And just go read it. Immerse yourself in it. Memorize it. There are fantastic apps for this. Like, do that instead of, you know, playing Candy Crush. I don't know what games are popular now. I know that one was a long time ago. Whatever. Just, just, there's apps for that. Learn, immerse yourself in it. Learn the overarching story of Scripture so that you see your story through its story. Jesus did that in the wilderness. You remember Brad talked to us about that? He talked to us about it through the example of the TV show, The Office. Y'all remember this? He said that he annoys John Mark and myself all the time because he sees his life through the lens of the office. And so he's always going, ah, this situation we're in is like that episode when. This is truth. He annoys us like this all the time. He has cast the office. He claims that he is Jim, I'm Michael, and apparently John Mark is definitely Creed. <laughs> but this is what we mean by immerse yourself in the Word. You're immersed to the point that you see your story through the lens of another story. Jesus was so immersed in the Word that He saw His story through the lens of Israel's story. He saw what was happening to Him in the wilderness through the lens of what happened to Israel in the wilderness. Satan couldn't fool Him because He knew how Israel had been fooled in the past. And He knew that God had proven Himself faithful. Learn the overarching story of Scripture. If you don't know where to begin with that, there's a children's Bible called the Big Picture Story Bible. I'm trying to get nitty-gritty practical for you right here. Buy it. Read it 50 times. You will have the big overarching story of Scripture nailed down. Big Picture Story Bible by David Helm. Take you 15 minutes to read it. Learn the overarching story of, of Scripture so that you see your story through its story. Shades, immerse yourself in the Word so that it illuminates your world read it memorize it listen to it dwell bible app it's expensive it's fantastic listen to it learn it but huge big massive but don't do any of that mechanically okay i i'm not saying just read the bible more just memorize it more quote it more listen to it more 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 so that temptation will go away that is approaching the word very mechanically it's it's treating it like it's a vending machine okay like i i press this button and i get this product i read it memorize it quote it and temptation just goes away 
I am not saying immerse yourself in the word mechanically, but spiritually. Immerse yourself. Here's what I mean by that. Immerse yourself in this word to know and grow in love of Jesus. Not just to check a box on the good Christian to-do list. To know Christ. To see Him. To behold His glory. To become captivated by Him. Ask, when you come to the Word, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to encounter Jesus through it. Anybody can read this Bible and it will do them no good unless the Spirit works through the Word for you to behold and encounter Jesus. Pray that you encounter Christ through the Word so that in every situation, in all your struggling, in all your suffering that you encounter in this life, it will all be illuminated by what you know to be true about Jesus. This is how Jesus fought Satan's temptations. Not by mechanically quoting Scripture, but by being spiritually immersed in it so that he knew, he knew what was true of his Father and no devil or desert could make him doubt it. Immerse yourself in the word shades so that you won't give in to the wild things, to temptation. Because you know, you know Jesus as your good and loving king and no devil or desert can make you doubt it. Immerse yourself in the word, not mechanically, but spiritually so that it illuminates your world. Number two, how do you pursue submitting to Jesus as king of your wild things, fight by faith in God's loving promise. So we're going to see our place through God's illuminating world, and we're going to fight by faith in God's loving promise. My, uh, my kids love candy, like most children, I imagine. Uh, imagine that I put a piece of candy on the coffee table in my house. That's like blood in the water with piranhas around. Right, so after I fight off their, their attack, I tell them, you're not allowed to eat this. Like, how strong does that make the temptation when I walk out of the room? But I don't just tell them, you're not allowed to eat this. I go on to say, you're not allowed to eat it because mom is baking cookies. And I promise you're going to get three cookies with a big old glass of milk if you will wait. I've just given them a promise. A promise that provides power against the temptation. Now, they must fight the temptation by faith in my promise. Do you see how that works? They, they fight by faith in my promise by reminding themselves what they know to be true of me. Papa gave us his promise. Papa keeps his promises. They fight by faith in my promise by recalling the very words of my promises. Three cookies. He said three cookies. It's three cookies. All right, what is this paltry piece of non-name brand candy set next to three homemade cookies? They, they fight by faith in my promise by receiving the evidence that my promise is true. We can smell the cookies baking. We can hear mom in the kitchen. She's even bringing us, look right now, she's bringing us a small foretaste of what's to come. And they fight by faith in my promise by remaining together. They don't go at this thing alone. They don't leave one another alone with the piece of candy. Now there's accountability. 
And they remind one another of all that we've already said, of, of who I am, of the words of my promise, of the evidence that the promise is true. And through all of that, Shades, through all of that, my promise, my promises are, are like logs. They keep heaping upon the fire of their faith so that it burns hotter and brighter, melting away temptation's power. They fight by faith in my loving promise. Shades, this is how we pursue submitting to Jesus as king over all our wild things. This is how, how, I'm always interested in how. I don't just want to tell you fight temptation. I want to show you how God has lovingly provided. He hasn't thrown you out there to fight temptation, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, do it in your own power. He has provided everything you need. How? By showing you what's true about the place that you are in, and then by providing loving promises of what he will do in that place. This is how we fight temptation. We fight by faith in God's loving promise. This is how Christ fought Satan's temptation in the wilderness. As, as Satan puts his pieces of candy on the coffee table before Christ, his, his temptations with their paltry promises. Christ fought by faith in his Father's loving promises. Christ fought by faith by reminding himself who his Father was and what was true of him, that he is a faithful Father. He will provide. He will protect. He does have a plan. Christ fought by faith in God's promise by recalling the very words of his promises in Deuteronomy 8, 3, 6, 16, and 6, 13. Christ fought by faith in God's promise by receiving the evidence that his Father's promises were true, the evidence of the Holy Spirit of God. Mark chapter 1 and verse 12, if you look at it, says that the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness. Matthew 4, 1 says it different. It says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Luke 4, 1 says it even a little bit different. It says that the Spirit went with him all the way through the wilderness. Put that together, I don't think it's an accident that what you see is the Spirit went before, came behind, and went with Christ. Christ fought by faith in God's promise, by remaining dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He fought temptation by faith in God's loving promises. Shades, so do we. This is how we fight. Shades, temptation makes you promises. That's why it's tempting. It makes you promises, promises of pleasure or happiness or relief or rest or gain or success or popularity or love. Ultimately, at its root, all temptation is promising you satisfaction. This, this will be the thing that satisfies. This will be the time it satisfies. This will be the person that satisfies. This will be the thing that satisfies. It makes your heart feel at home. And whole. At its root, all temptation lies by promising to satisfy, but shades, it's a paltry piece of candy revealed as cheap, non-name brand imitation when it's set next to the superior promises of God. The superior promises of God in which he promises to satisfy your heart with his eternal sweetness. Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Full joy 
forever. Maximum in every direction. Your heart, home, and whole. Satisfied. Shades, we fight temptation by faith in that promise. In the exact same way I described to you my kids fighting the temptation against candy, we fight by faith in God's promise by reminding ourselves, by reminding ourselves of what we know to be true of God. He's our faithful Father. He keeps His promises. Throw that log on the fire of your faith. The log of Luke 12 and verse 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's faithful. He'll do what He's promised to do. Throw that log on the fire of your faith. Shades, we fight by faith in God's promises by recalling the very words of His promises. He's given us a many great and varied promises for our many varied and great situations in which we need to hear that He will satisfy our hearts over anything else that the enemy has to offer. Shades, when, for instance, when I am fighting anxiety over providing for my family, I throw the log of Matthew six twenty six on the fire of my faith. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Throw that log on the fire of my faith. When I'm fighting lust, I throw the log of Matthew 5, 8 on the fire of my faith. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God doesn't just throw down a rule and say, don't do this, don't lust, it's wrong. He promises you a superior sight, one that will actually satisfy the desire that lust is lying to you about. He will satisfy your heart forever. You will see God. Throw that log on the fire of your faith. Shades, when I know that I do not have the strength to carry on even another day, I throw the log of Jude 24 on my faith. Now to him who is able to keep you, keep you, keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever. And just for good measure, I like to throw on Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And I like to douse that with a good smatter of Revelation 22 just to throw gas on the fire. They will see his face. This is how, this is how I personally fight the fight of faith. This is how I fought it last week standing in front of do you remember that? That was not planned and it was not on purpose. Shades, I, I can't make myself weep. I wish that I could. It might have gotten me out of a few tickets. My sister has that gift. It's amazing. But last week, as we talked through some of these things, I held up the very words of God's promise in Philippians 4.19. And I fought, I fought, I was fighting in that moment, Shades. Not planned, not on purpose. I was fighting through tears to believe that promise with you. My God will, he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
didn't do that on purpose last week, but I don't know of a more practical example that I can give you than to try to live this in front of you. Chates, we fight by faith in God's promise, by recalling the very words of his promise. And I hope, I hope it's clear as I throw out these different scriptures having to do with anxiety or lust or whatever, I hope it's very clear I'm not talking about mechanically memorizing scripture so you can just quote it and it automatically kills temptation as if scripture is like a magic spell. This is not Harry Potter. There's no expelliarmus with the devil. Scripture's not magic that makes temptation disappear. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about engaging your heart, not mechanically, but spiritually with the truth of God's word in a way that stirs, that stirs up your affections for Christ, overcoming your affections that you have for your temptation. We fight by faith in God's promise by recalling the very words of his promise. And... We fight by faith in God's promise by receiving the evidence that his promises are true. Same evidence that Christ received, the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Shades, when you believed the gospel, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, or in other words, down payment, a more literal translation. The Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance. What's the guarantee that you're going to get your entire inheritance? Everything that God has ever promised you. You want evidence? He's given you a down payment. Just like you put a down payment on a house that's a promise that you're going to give the rest of the money. The down payment is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the guarantee, the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit at work in your life is the evidence that the promises of Christ are true. The Holy Spirit bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Holy Spirit's work in your life is you smelling the cookies baking. It's you hearing mom in the kitchen. It, it, he is the foretaste of what's coming. For by him, we experience the very presence of Christ now. That presence that we will one day know in full when we will see his face. We experience his presence right now. The presence of Christ who went before us. Christ who sends us into the wilderness. Christ who is with us in the wilderness. Just like the Spirit came before, came behind, went through with him, so Christ does with us by the Spirit. This is the last promise he gave us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I have gone before you through the wilderness of this world. I didn't give in to Satan's temptation for authority. I've gone through the cross and I've won the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've gone before you through the wilderness of this world. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now I'm sending you into the wilderness of this world. Oh, and by the way, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ has gone before, Christ comes behind, and Christ goes with, providing everything we need. You can fight the fight of faith in God's promises because you have received the evidence that his promises are true, the very presence of Christ through his Holy Spirit. And Shades, finally right here, and then I'll move on. We fight by faith in God's promises 
by remaining together. This is the last thing I told you about my kids fighting for faith. And the same is true for us. We fight by faith in God's promises by remaining together. I mean with one another. As a church body. We're, we're united. We talked a lot about this a couple weeks ago. We are united as the body of Christ. Jesus' body did not go through the wilderness in pieces. Neither do we. Shades, Jesus going through the wilderness of the world is not a metaphor for you as an individual going through the wilderness of the world. It's not even a picture of that. It's a picture of his people. He's the true Israel. We are meant to go through the wilderness of this world together, facing and fighting temptation together. I believe that this is one of the number one reasons that so many of us experience so much defeat. Because we go at this thing alone. We don't leave one another alone with any of Satan's pieces of candy. We're to provide accountability. We're to remind one another of everything we've been talking about thus far. We're to remind one another of, of the truth about the place we live. We're to shine the illuminating light of the world into each other's li- of the word into each other's lives. To speak what's true about our suffering, our struggles, and our situation. We're we're to remind one another what's true about our Father. We're to remind Him of the very words of the promises that He's made. We're to remind one another of all the evidences that His promises are true. We're to point out evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in one another's lives. In other words, we don't do this fight by faith individually. We do it communally. Not individually, communally. Even all of our private, I've told you this before, all of our private scripture reading and memorization and all those things, all of that is meant to be brought back into the context of community because this is where we do our fight of faith. We fight by faith, not individually, but in community. It's a community fight. Shades, I do not know where I would be personally in my battle with depression. I don't know where I would be without you. And God's work in my life through you. I don't know where I would be without community. Christ-filled, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled community. Community has provided me accountability. When I just want to indulge in a self-pity party, community provides me accountability. Community constantly, you constantly remind me of what's true. Community has has shown me, pointed me towards how God could work in my life through counseling, encouraged me to engage community in that way. Community are the ones who have pointed me towards medication. I've told you all before, I take Prozac. Have since 2012. If you need a pastor who's not on Prozac, you're at the wrong place. Community did that for me. I didn't do that on my own. Community called out and said, Jonathan, there's probably a physiological component to this. It's community that constantly points me to the Spirit's work in my life. Shades, I I sat upstairs earlier just before the service in the prayer room and, and precious saints that pray up there week after week prayed over me and I sat there and the only thought that would run through my head was that every pastor on the planet should be jealous of me. 
lavished his love on me ridiculously through you. As difficult as this fight has been, it has never been able to kill my faith because I fight by faith in God's promises by remaining together with you. And through all of this, through all of this shades, you just keep heaping God's promises like logs onto the fire of my faith so that it burns hotter and brighter, melting away temptation's power. This is how. This is how we fight temptation. It's how we pursue submitting to Jesus as king of our wild things. Thirdly and finally, we talked about we need to see our place through God's illuminating word, fight by faith, and God's loving promise. Number three, rest each day in God's sovereign purpose. Rest. Each day, how are you going to submit to Jesus as king? Rest each day in God's sovereign purpose. I just finished telling you to fight. And now I'm telling you to rest. Are you confused? The Bible talks a lot, a lot about how the Christian life is like a fight to be fought, a race to be won, something that is striven after, something that takes effort. And yet the Bible also talks a lot about rest, waiting on the Lord, trusting in Him. Come to me, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. In that same gospel, Jesus says, wide is the way that leads to destruction and many are they who go there. Narrow is the road that leads to life and it is hard. Which is it, Jesus? Easy or hard? Is it a fight or rest? Like, how do you put those together? I believe Scripture puts them together as a fight of faith, which is a fight to rest. These are two sides of the same coin. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, strive, strive to enter that rest. I strive to rest in God. I strive to trust Him. I strive to believe His promises. I fight for faith in Him. It's a fight to not try to do this on my own, but to rest in Him, rest in His promises, and believe that everything we've seen, that it is all true, that His promises are true, especially His ultimate promise of accomplishing His sovereign purpose to lovingly redeem all things. That's what we saw last week in the strange words of Mark chapter 1 and verse 13. We saw God's ultimate promise to redeem all things. We saw it in these strange words. Jesus was with the wild animals. But remember, they were not wild to him. It was like a little Eden breaking out in the wilderness, a little preview of the purpose for which the Father sent his Son to redeem all the wild things. The King came to reclaim his kingdom. And we can rest. Rest in the knowledge that that purpose will be accomplished because He is sovereign. 
Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Why? What makes him like no other? What makes him set apart? I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Shades, that's the sovereignty of God and it is the good news that guarantees the gospel. Shades, King Jesus will sovereignly accomplish his purpose to redeem all wild things, including you and including me, even and especially when it doesn't look like it. You may be thinking as we're wrestling through all of this, Jonathan, I fail again and again and again. It never looks like Jesus is going to be king of the wild things in me, even even shades, and especially when this world only looks like wilderness, even, and especially when it feels like the wild things are winning inside of you, even, and especially when it looks like his purpose of redeeming all things is failing, we fight to rest in this truth. Romans eight twenty eight that for those who love God, all things work together. Your victories and your failings even and especially when it doesn't like, look like it. We fight to believe this truth. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Everything, Romans 8 says, is working. Everything you experience, every situation, your struggling, your suffering, all your victories, all your failures, it is all working together for good. The good is God's purpose. What purpose is that? The next verse tells us, Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Everything in your life is working together for your good, for you to be conformed to look like Jesus, for you to be redeemed. The king is redeeming all wild things, including you and me. He promises that sovereignly. That's what the very next verse says. Romans 8 and verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God sovereignly saves. No dropouts along the way. You can trace out that chain in Romans 8.30 and you've got one of two choices. You can put between every single one of those actions the word some or the word all. Some that he predestined, he also called. Some whom he called, he also justified. And some whom he justified, he also glorified. None of Scripture will confirm any of that. This is an un breakable chain of the sovereign God and his sovereignty in your salvation. This is why he can speak Philippians 1, 6. Therefore, he who began a good work in you, who predestined, who called you, who justified you, he will bring it to completion. He will glorify you. He accomplishes his sovereign purpose. This is his promise that undergirds everything. We love the promise of Romans 8.28 that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. What undergirds that? What guarantees that is true? The sovereignty of God and He has given you evidence of it. It's in the very next verse, Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? Like if we're going to say, how do we know this is true? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Paul says, you want to know how all of this is true. Look at the cross. God did the hardest thing. 
will he not do the easier things he's promised to do? God gave his own son. Will he not also call you, justify you, sanctify you, glorify you? That's why he gave his son. He's done the hardest thing. It's done. Jesus said so. It's finished. This is your guarantee undergirding that God will sovereignly accomplish His purpose to redeem you, that all things will work together for your ultimate good, to make you like Christ, to satisfy your heart with Him forever. God did the hardest thing. He gave His Son for your salvation. How will He not also do the easier thing of bringing that salvation to completion? Shades, He sent His Son, not just to ride a donkey on Palm Sunday, but to carry a cross on Good Friday. Where people raised their fists instead of waving palm branches. Where they shouted, crucify, instead of Hosanna. Where He was coronated as King with a crown of thorns. God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, for us, for us all. How will He not... How will he not? How will he not also with him graciously? This is his love pouring out from him. Grace pouring out. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Everything he's promised. He will redeem all wild things because he purchased this promise with his own blood. Shades. Each day. Each and every day. Rest. Rest in God's sovereign it will happen, guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. Each day, rest in God's sovereign purpose. Not one time only, but daily. Because the reality is, shades, that you will face temptation not one time only, but daily. Jesus faced temptation all throughout the 40 days in the wilderness, and we will face temptation all throughout our life in the wilderness of this world daily you will be tempted to believe that god's purposes of redemption are failing in the wilderness of this world and that they are failing at redeeming the wild things inside of you you will be tempted to believe that daily shades don't give in to that temptation see your place through god's illuminating word fight by faith in his loving promise and rest rest each day in his sovereign purpose even and especially when it's hard to see. I, uh, I recently purchased a new uh, book for my children. It's by a theologian named Jonathan Gibson. Don't worry, it's, it's a true kid's book. It's called The Moon is Always Round. And it's, it's a true story uh, about how this guy, Jonathan, how he used the moon to teach his three-year-old son that God is always good. He'd look up the moon each night and Jonathan would ask his son, Ben, what shape is the moon tonight? And he taught him the different shapes. It's crescent, it's half, it's full, it's gibbous. And then he'd ask his son, what shape is the moon always? And his son would reply, the moon is always round. And that means God is always good. We know, Shades, don't we, that the moon is always round even when it doesn't look round. It always is. Little did Jonathan Gibson know that within a year his wife would give birth to a stillborn daughter. And it would be really hard to explain to a three-year-old. 
how God's purposes of redemption weren't failing. It would be really hard for him and his wife to not give in to the temptation. The temptation to believe God doesn't provide, he doesn't protect, he doesn't have a plan. Jonathan gave the eulogy for his daughter. And at the end of it, he looked down at the front row where his son Ben was sitting. And he asked him, what shape is the moon, Ben? And Ben said, the moon is always round. God is always good. Even when we can't see, even and especially when it is hard to see. Shades, rest in his sovereign purpose. You will be daily tempted to believe that God's purpose of redemption is failing in the world and in you. That the wild things are winning. Don't give in to that temptation. See your place through God's illuminating word. Fight by faith in his loving promise and rest. Rest each day in his sovereign purpose. Don't do any of that mechanically, but spiritually. Don't do it just merely individually, but communally. Don't do it one time only, but daily. This is how we submit to Jesus as king.